When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So do you know Lex Friedman? Yeah. He, he does Joe Rogan. He's got his own podcast. He did a Bitcoin thing, uh, I guess a week ago or something. And in one segment of it, he was saying that the Bitcoin community was closed off. And he just made the the exemplary comment of like, like I'm a smart guy. I, I have a PhD. Like, you can, you can take the time to teach me. Apparently, that was clipped and people had a laugh at his expense for saying that he had a PhD. Now, normally... What I do when, you know, these sorts of things happen is, like, try not to notice it, number one. Like, mm-hmm. be so uninvolved with Twitter and the YouTube comments that you have no idea that that's occurred. Uh, but if you do see it, immediately shut the computer and go do something else. And the way that he handled it, I thought, was really interesting. He made a, like, dedicated section of a video for eight minutes where he said... I tried my best to be understood. Uh, This hurt my feelings that people were misunderstanding me. A lot of people have told me to toughen up about it, but I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I just want to tell everybody that I found this upsetting because I'm, I'm, you know, a fellow traveler on this path trying to learn and understand. And it was just a very... At first I watched the video, I was like, you're doing this completely wrong, dude. Like, (laughs) you have to not care. But then I did, by the end, really admire how he was so sincere mm-hmm. in like, we've talked about that you do this, he, but he did it on the internet, which I thought was crazy. Just being like, this hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I'm really trying to, to connect with people. And I was upset that this was misinterpreted and I hold no ill will towards you, but I wish you would stop. And it was, uh, it was disarming to see on the internet. I don't know if you have any reaction to it, but. No, I mean, I think, I wonder why his seems sincere because have you watched been, a lot of him no he is like very he doesn't immediately show it because i think he's eastern block and yeah when i belt. see when i see yeah. him he is unexpressive no i've seen is, him interview people and he's he's all about stoic. heart man he's all about heart now he doesn't i think his culture is not effusively expressive he's not that facially way. expressive yes and he can seem monotone when you listen to him for long enough he's all about love and heart and connecting with people and being humble so it's uh it's interesting to watch a guy that has that background who is a little bit more flat monotone and stoic but wear his heart on his sleeve and be hurt by internet comments and say so so what are the advantages and disadvantages of this strategy though because i think you did something similar when you talked about the video that was about you you're like this hurt me it's Mm -hmm. not none of this is true i'm not this person i've been taken out of context and you and then in hindsight you're like this would have been better if i had just not even known that it existed. What are the advantages? I think 
Well, the big thing is that, one, he made this specifically for his audience. I don't know what the advantages are. I guess it's just that's how he wants to treat it. He wants to treat people on the internet as the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and assume that if he shows vulnerability and kindness and heart and forgiveness, that that will be returned. And I think in this particular case, it's likely to be. Well, that's the weird thing about the internet is how many people listen to his podcast? 100,000 per episode? A lot. It might. It's more than that. Okay. He's, he's, he's so going fast. 99,950 of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. might live up to the reputation he gives them. Mm-hmm. And 50 of them might go make a second round of memes. Mm -hmm. And the first time that he said he had a PhD, 99,990, like a vast, vast, vast majority might've gone, oh yeah, this makes total sense in context. I understand. Mm -hmm. And only 50 out of 100,000, 200,000 people need to go, oh, I could clip this and make him look like a dick or Mm -hmm. whatever. And then you're going to see 50 memes, which Mm -hmm. is enough to, when presented to him, seem overwhelming. So it's weird because even if you do give people the best reputation, the internet's just so big, especially as your audience grows. There's going to be that small, tiny 0.001% of people that are going to meme you or write mean comments or whatever it is. So I don't think you can kill every person on the internet with kindness. What he essentially says at the end is that I am sensitive and if I block you on Twitter, it's because I'm sensitive. And it's not because I hate you. It's not because I dislike you. It's because I can't handle that in my life i'm sure that if we were in person we could get some beers get along and hash out any differences we may have i I found that the fundamental i think difference between he and i is that he is attempting to use twitter and i I laugh at this because to me this is something i would never do though i do respect it in him to connect with people Mm. and i would never (laughs) i would never think that that was a good thing to do yeah like i look at that as so toxic but clearly to him it it's brought value and he is interacting in a way that is beyond what I'm capable of because I shut that that um, that entry point. You know, we, we respond mostly to Patreon questions and the most highly updated, upvoted, thoughtful YouTube comments. Mm. Uh, so it's not that one is right or wrong. Mostly the thought that I had was how my own reaction to him transformed as I watched it to going from you're doing this wrong because you're not doing this the way that I would have handled this would have been like, don't tell me about it. I'm not going to, it's, I don't need to know about this. The world mm-hmm. is full of these kinds of things too. Oh, wow. It's really cool that like, there's two different approaches to this. And I think that hopefully one of us, I don't know if his is better than mine, but I just thought it was cool that he took such a different tack than I would have. Why did he blow up? Why is he, why is he growing so fast? I think it's a combo. As I watch him, I can't tell you why other people like him, but I will tell you that his kindness, which is not immediately evident in his expressiveness, comes through in the longer form content. He's kind and thoughtful and asks questions about love and, you know, will, will, you know, I believe that love will hear the world type things. And in someone who is both very technically brilliant and also is like a black belt and BJJ, it's a cool combination that you don't often get, which I think sort of similar to Joe Rogan, who's like a meathead who loves psychedelics and has, and played Quake addictively for, <laughs> for 10 years or something like that. So he's got this weird combination of traits that you don't get in i think most people Hmm. but yeah so that was that was one little internet thing what else i got here we talked about a lot of this because it's been two weeks i know know. yeah (laughs) the problem with skipping a week is sometimes we can bite our tongue for three days before we talk about a topic but yeah not for 13 well i'll ask you this one because this is one that i haven't said so i mentioned that i found nomad capitalists which is this guy on youtube who 
travels the world essentially, but I think a, a fundamental precept of his is go where you're treated best. And he considers governments almost like suitors, like uh, prospective boyfriends or girlfriends, mm-hmm. and feels seemingly no allegiance to the place that he was born. Uh, at first, I was like, that's messed up because that was just a, a knee-jerk reaction that I had. But as I thought about it, I do think that I have been, uh, as we all have, inculcated with the sense of duty to the amorphous idea of the American government, irrespective of what it does for us. We're all told that it does so much for us and is so good and it's the greatest country in the world. And I realized that I have sort of a narrative in my head about, you know, there's still that lingering America's number one and it's taken care of you and it's done everything for you in the back of my head, not to say that it's not better than many places. Well, how does he deal with friends and family? So like, this so is, for instance, the reason yeah. I wouldn't want to renounce citizenship, even even if I thought that the U.S. government and I were even, because they had provided a lot of services for me over the last 33 years, but I have paid them a lot in taxes, so let's call it square, right? Just business transaction. If I renounce my citizenship, become a citizen of Singapore, I can only come here for a certain amount of time each year, right? Correct. Yeah. So how does he deal with the fact that I assume the majority of his friends live in the U.S. I his family think, probably lives well, in the I U.S. Think any longer that's not true. I think he now oh, really? he does he does what we looked at uh, the trifecta which is where you do four four and four months a year in different places and, okay. you, and you move depending on weather and all that kind of stuff. He's got a wife and I think he's made friends in those new places. Now his family of origin I suspect is still in the U.S. but he visits them and to be fair the amount of times that I see my family they might as well be <laughs> in a foreign country. I only see him three four times a year. So he has a core crew that he travels with, or it's just him and his wife? I think it's, and I, they believe, have different... I don't know his story, but I believe it's him and his wife, and they have made friends. In each place. In each place, yes. Um, though I don't think that that was as big of a concern for him as it was for you. It seems, at least the way that he talks about it, that finances and recovering, you know, the whatever, 40% of taxes that he was paying, and he now pays 1% globally, is important. So, I don't know. I had a hand, I, I just had a knee-jerk reaction to that, like, that's fucked up you're supposed to love America. And then I went, oh, wait, I've been brainwashed into this because, you know, the country that I was born into in 1987 is not the same country that invaded Iraq in 2003, is not the same country that that is around today in 2021. Well, my thing is, are you, are you going to expand your sphere of care or mm-hmm. shrink it? So most people yeah. go, I'm a U.S. citizen. I care about my country. My country provides for me. If you're going to throw that away, then there's two things you can do. You can say, I'm a global citizen. I used to pay 40% taxes, now I pay 1% taxes, so I'm going to donate 20% of my money to helping people in Africa and 10% of my money to helping people yeah, yeah. in East Asia, and I'm going to keep 60% for myself. But instead of just funding a government that I don't care about, I have earned through clever uh, problem solving the right to determine where my charity goes. Mm-hmm. Or you can shrink your sphere of care to just yourself and go, I don't care that the government helped me. I don't care that the country I currently live in has a government that helps me contractually I'm only owed uh, I only owe 1% of my money so I'm going to keep 99% for myself and you know my bias probably comes through in how I language that but I don't think it's wrong to shift your sphere of influence or your sphere of care but I would prefer if I were friends with someone and they did this I would say great you've just freed up a ton of capital in a world (laughs) that still does help you you were provided for from zero to 18 with an education everywhere you live, whether it's the U.S. or elsewhere, you probably take advantage of public roads and police. Mm-hmm. And so to, to go take yours, but give nothing back to the community that raised you, the community you live in, or the communities in need, that seems weird. But I, if you're going to go, okay, I'm going to give 30% of my money to 
some combination of this, either the country that was I was raised in, or I'm going to say, no, even though there's only 1% tax, I'm going to go donate to the local police, the local firemen, the local construction companies that provide me the current life I have in Singapore or mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. Or you go, I don't need to do that because Singapore is killing it. So I'm going to reach out to Africa. Yeah, yeah. And all of that I think is great. But when you go, I'm going to keep 99% for myself. It just goes to what, to what end? You know, I, you, you I aren't alone to- in the the world you aren't alone in the universe so. yeah that, that was my exact there's there's the legal argument there's the moral argument which is like you owe more than one percent and not even just there's there's oh and then there's an additional like look you you were born i'm a determinist i know you're not but like you have no to i be am born, for other people just not you myself. happen to be born on a wonderful roller coaster yeah like congrats i know you think that it was all there's no free will yes you did hard work but like you got a great roller coaster. It's time for you to go spend some money to like improve other people's roller coaster. And when I say roller coaster, what I mean is if you're a determinist, you believe that you are sort of locked into a track of which you can peer out of and enjoy and watch and be conscious of, but not that, that free will is almost a nonsensical thing. If that doesn't make sense to you, we've talked about in the past, go check out Sam Harris free will. He, he yeah. has recently done a sense on it, but yeah. But no, yeah, my, I mean, yeah, my thing is just that we're all, to the extent that no, you haven't been murdered in your sleep by someone taking your stuff, you've benefited from public services. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yeah, if you if you don't want to give money to the U.S. government, you want to do it to other charities, good yeah. causes, then sure. But if you want to go, I made mine, I'm completely self-made, I should keep 99% of the money I make because of how clever I am, I would suggest that maybe that's a little too much self-congratulatory uh nature. I agree. And, and quite frankly, if you universalize that rule, it would be an awful planet. Like the idea of this libertarian ideal where we all just respect property rights <laughs> and tremendous amounts of inequality is a joke. Uh, so that would fall apart very quickly yeah. if people started to follow that. Now, here was the thought that I had. I don't think I'm going to leave the U.S. for the reasons that you mentioned, which is family, friends, all that kind of stuff. So I'm locked in. But if I wasn't and I was playing this game and I did so- go somewhere because where I did land is tax rate effectively last year in California is 43%. A lot of it goes to stuff that I wish it didn't go mm-hmm. to. Uh, 50% of which is the Department of Defense, which you can say is defense or war, depending on your perspective. And I just wouldn't allocate it the way that it is being allocated for, uh, for, for me. Mm-hmm. So if I were to leave and free up, all, say all of that, how, what is the appropriate amount for me or anyone to think about paying because kind of what taxes do for a lot of people is they make them feel like, okay, we're clear, you know, yeah, I pay like, what I, like owe. I pay what I owe. But what's interesting is if you're in Australia, that's 25%. And mm-hmm. if you're in California in the upper bracket, that's 53% at your, your highest marginal rate. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Sure. <laughs> so like, what is the, how does one morally navigate the correct I, I have put no thought into this, so I don't know. The, <laughs> the one thing I will say is I do like actually the philosophy around a marginal tax rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it, people game it, and I'm not saying it's done perfectly in the U.S., but the idea that you would give a different percentage the more you have, that makes sense to me mm-hmm. because you don't we don't have this infinite need for wealth. So, yeah, my answer to this, which I don't have fully thought out, is it's going to be lower if you make 20 grand a year than if you make 20 million a year mm-hmm. not just in absolute money but even in percent mm-hmm. but i don't know the number if it's 10 or 15 yeah. or 30 or i was just thinking i was like this is not an impossible future for me to find myself in where whatever for whatever reason there's no i don't want to be in the u.s and i go abroad and i and my tax rate effectively goes down 
what then do I need to set as like, no, this is the floor of which yeah. you need to contribute. Well, the, honestly, the biggest thing that scares me about the renouncing of citizenship is how permanent it is. Because if you could renounce your citizenship, but since you were born in the U.S., you could you take it back. Re- you can, uh, yeah, go ahead. You Renouncing, I think, there's federal and there's state. So you can you could get out of state tax. We don't need to get into the, the Well, yeah, you get out of state taxes easily. You literally just move to Texas and then go idea. live abroad 12 months a year, yeah. but just claim Texas. But I think to pay 1%, you have to renounce your U.S. citizenship. Maybe right, yeah. As a guy with a sleeve tattoo, let me tell you, sometimes permanent decisions <laughs> seem like a good idea at a time. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I didn't really need to do this. And I don't regret <laughs> it, but I will say I'm totally neutral on my own tattoo. Yeah. It has no no cost and no benefit. So was it worth five grand and 50 hours of sitting in a tattoo chair? Like probably not because it's completely like not having it. Yeah. And that has taken me five years to land on that decision from when I made it. So I could see myself renouncing my citizenship at 33 and at 45 just being like, shit, Mm -hmm. I sure wish I had that U.S. citizenship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I almost married someone in Brazil to get Brazilian citizenship. It only took six months for me to be glad that didn't happen. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest thing. If you could do takesies, backsies with the government and come back and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I want to start paying my taxes again. And they would just give you citizenship again. Then it's like, yeah, why not take a flyer? But if it's permanent, which is just my uneducated impression, that would be my hesitance. It's like you might just end up in 2030 saying, I really, it would be cool to live in the U.S. for 12 months. Yeah, well, you know who doesn't feel that is our friend Benji, who was born in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, he lives with his, in family, the same building as his, his family. family. Well, this is, I guess, what I was saying. Is like, oh, dude, if all my friends and family died. Family's not going to live forever, dude. If all my friends and family died, I'd renounce my citizenship. I'm just a lone ranger that knows no one. No one I know is alive. Yeah, why not? I'll just go donate to charity and live in Singapore. Yeah. Well, speaking of taxes, I think Joe Biden releases his plan today. I could be wrong. So we're going to find out how we're affected. But we had chatted about this. It's not, oh, I had this on my list. Yeah. Well, it's actually not. It's not what I initially thought. We were hearing that taxes were going to be raised on people who make $400,000 or older in or over in the U.S. And we're like, man, that is there's such degrees of wealth. You know, mm-hmm. there's people who make over half a million, a million, 10 million, 100 million a billion and from 10 to 100 well to a also billion to 100 billion are orders of magnitude yeah this is what i thought was interesting I'm, I'm very curious if his tax plan has updated so maybe i'm working on outdated information but i'll just say from the public reception of it it seemed like from reddit basically that people were all on board with taxing people who make four hundred thousand dollars or more because they want to tax the rich mm-hmm. and they want to tax the billionaires and i think that that shows unfortunately that people don't know how billionaires make their money which is through cap gains. Well, so, so that good news is, and just, just so you're not speaking out of turn, he did talk about. We'll see if it's. I know he's always talking. He's always talking about. We'll it. see. He's he's saying that he's going to fund this giant infrastructure plan with a corporate tax rate hike and a cap gains hike. Uh, what I'm saying is the public reception. Yeah. People who are saying, "Yeah, tax the rich. Anyone over 400 grand or more." It's like if you want to tax the rich, you need a wealth tax or a capital gains tax because they don't make their money in I- income mm-hmm. the way that us normal people do. Like even if you're an entrepreneur or you have a salary. If you're making less than a million dollars a year, you're making income. But if you're making $50 million in a year, you're probably making cap gains. Unless you're like an actor or an athlete or something like that. Sure. They get they get lump sums of income, which I'm sure are taxed. Yeah, we, we got a funny system <laughs> set up that, that has like, look, you when you go up to like really, really rich, we're going to tax you. And then you break into the stratosphere where there is no gravity. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's all I was thinking. I was thinking we're going to miss like everyone's taxes. saying, oh, we need to tax Bezos and Zuckerberg. 
a 400 grand or more income tax might miss them completely. That's all I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you could be better off just doing a wealth tax and you would lower taxes on 99.99% of everyone in the US, but you would skyrocket the taxes of the highest earners. Yeah. Well, if you just got rid of all income tax and did just a wealth tax like Warren Buffett has been proposing for decades. Decades, yeah. We have to see how this one shakes out because I don't want to speak out of turn. My, I had initially thought that he was going to skip this second half, but then I saw it's all headlines. So who knows? This is the funny thing, and this is, relates to actually another point that we've talked about in the past, how the headline can be so misleading from the content. Oh, so, yeah, it's so ridiculous. It's, you know, it's an infrastructure plan. It's, you know, it's actually a plan that just funds military operations abroad or something like that. So who knows what the details of this thing will be. But speaking well, of... Even some headlines, I don't, I'm going to get the story wrong, but your brother was telling us about some hip-hop artist and his hip-hop artist girlfriend, and they got in a fight, and the headline was, you know, guy, guy leaves elevator while woman is left on the ground. And it made the headline makes him seem like he's the abuser. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out that she punched him three times, tried to steal his bag. He like ripped the bag out of her hand and she fell because of the force of him pulling the bag. Yeah. And then they say, oh, she she was left on the ground and they cut the part where she hits him three times and he never hits her back. Yeah. So, yeah, the headline can sometimes convey the complete opposite of reality. So an example of this, which is apropos, not the same exact topic. So. Uh, LA just achieved the status of no kill shelters in 2020 and people were, you know, in, in the cat community, which I happen to have an ear in because of, I'm not going to say her name publicly. <laughs> Someone you're Someone. seeing. <laughs> um, she was telling me about it. And apparently the reason that they got their no kill status is because, well, first off, no kill means that 90% of animals that are deemed healthy and adoptable are not killed, which is to say, no kill means 10% can be killed. Okay. <laughs> so right off the yeah. bat, we no, it's a funny use of the word no. All our shelters are no kill shelters. <laughs> yes. We only kill 10% of our animals. Um, secondly, that it was COVID, which is to say that these things shut down and stopped taking in new animals. Mm. So just by simply shutting the doors and having like no adoptions and no help happening, because there wasn't uh, transit, they were able just to kind of keep the animals that they'd had and feed them and keep them in cages and... That's why they hit the no-kill thing. But additionally, it also has these crazy incentives where what you want at that point is to have only, like, the healthiest animals that mm -hmm. come into your thing. And you can have the slush fund of, like, weaker animals that are unadoptable that go elsewhere. It's also just for L.A. County. So they say L.A. So what they essentially do is they take all these unadoptable animals. And they ship them out. And they don't let them come into these L.A. things. And they send them to the suburbs where they're just, like gassed or or euthanized en masse uh it, it's just funny it's like this this self-congratulatory headline that made everybody feel good we did it it hides unfortunately and the worst piece of it is instead of just having the eye on the ball of animal welfare yeah you now have your eye on the ball of achieving no-kill status mm -hmm. which is an incentive that is in, that is sometimes directly opposed to the welfare of the animals because it's like look Maybe there's this old animal that we can give a more comfortable month to because we have the cage. You know, we have the space. We have the bandwidth. But if we take it in and then we euthanize it, then we lose our no-kill status. So, like, sorry, you go to, you know, Pasadena or some other place or just die on the street. We're not taking you in. Yeah. 
uh, I just like, man, that's <laughs> these, these, it's the same thing with like cage free and all these kinds well, of yeah, it gets, like buzzwords. It reminds me of the same thing we've talked about over and over, which is you really have to define what you're trying to accomplish clearly. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to accomplish better lives for the animals in LA that don't have homes, that's going to actually get you different, better outcomes. And if you're trying to accomplish achieving no kill status in all LA shelters, mm-hmm. I feel like we're doing this, we're committing this mistake all over the place in the U.S. We're setting the wrong goal, working to achieve it, and actually walking in the wrong direction of our real goal that we can't quite figure out how to state accurately. Mm-hmm. Yes, because because at the end of the day, what we want is the award for the no kill or mm-hmm. the award for you know Amnesty International S A A, A triple plus fr- you know friendship thing or whatever. So. I just thought that that was funny. She was just like listening and it's not in LA and it's not, this, and it's not this. I was like, my God, was she aware of all the, the problems with it? She was angry by it. And this is, it's, a, it was very important to her because it's the world that she, that she lives in. And she got on social media and made a post about how this mm. is not, <laughs> this is not cool and this is not okay. And we shouldn't nice. be celebrating all of this. By the way, we do have a sponsor for this episode. Thank you guys to kettle and fire. They make bone broths. I know Ben, you're a big you're a big bone broth guy for your micronutrients. Yeah, Why don't yeah. you tell us about it? So I, I drink it every day. Uh, as my diet gets more and more restrictive, it's harder and harder to get <laughs> high quality protein. And so this is a very easy way to get high quality protein, micronutrients. I'm not a cook by any means, so the fact that it comes, it lasts forever till you open it, and then you can just microwave it to cook it. You can get plain bone broth. You can also get ketogenic soups and things of that nature. So it's it's a big. Uh, part of my diet and something that I drink almost every day. So mm-hmm. thank you guys for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, and we've had discussions about this. I won't say it every time, but the bones are, uh, no extra animals are are killed for, for these bones. This is something that we've spoken to the founder about. Uh, we've had lengthy discussions about the ethics of this and uh, feel, at least for today, uh, feel, feel comfortable promoting this, even though that I'm someone, I'm a pescatarian and we've, we've talked about uh, avoiding Anything that's that's not ethically up to par when it comes to your diet choice, and we feel that this falls safely in the category of okay to do while still being an animal product and getting your protein. So if you guys want to check that out, it's, what is it, kettleandfire.com slash charisma mm-hmm. or link in the description. So Charlie and Ben. Slash Charlie and Ben. <laughs> oh, is it Charlie and Ben? <laughs> I think, yeah. We'll put the link in the description beneath if you guys want to check it out. Um, do you have any, I have some other stuff that I can hop into, but these no, go are kind of like random one-offs. Go ahead. We talked about this before so i apologize if this feels stale but i thought it was interesting when i discovered it so ben and justin and i and my brother and my my other friend and co-worker ivan have been playing league of legends for hours every day (laughs) we additionally today we have our dungeons and dragons thing uh i saw a question that maybe we'll answer which is uh you talk about how you don't really care as much about earning money but you still want you know in the matpat video you talked about admiring how he can get the views and and Mm -hmm. do that so well like what's the deal and i realized it's a good question we should answer it and i will but part of it not the entirety is like i just love games i just love problems and if you tell me that there's a game where i gotta whatever sudoku figure the numbers out or make the numbers go up or make the graph go up or kill the enemy team more times or or whatever go ahead well and different games are valued incredibly differently by society Mm -hmm. so the game of making your YouTube channel get some, get more subscribers leads to friends and family that I never hear from reaching out to congratulate me on my excellent performance. 
and getting more money is lauded by friends and family and society and the movies you watch. But no one is lauding you if you beat a video game. Yeah, yeah. Nobody congratulates me on League of Legends. In fact, I feel an internalized from when I was little sense of, which I've, which I've mostly shaken or at least pushed through, of shame. Of like, this is a poor use of time. And it would have been better had I spent it reading a book, practicing the guitar. Well, you're told that growing up. I mean, yes. you're literally told this video games are a waste of time and you'd be better off if you were doing something you didn't enjoy as much that were growth towards the pursuit of, uh, well, growth is honestly, even if you're being pushed towards growth, that's good parents, mostly money and status. Or even basketball was, was a more acceptable game yeah. than Super Mario was. And I think that part of that, which hasn't quite clicked out of my mind, and maybe the new generation has this implicitly built in, is that the games that I played were single player, optimize the number, do it over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, I remember beating like Sim sim apartment building and just feeling empty on the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'd made the thing, I'd built this giant skyscraper and I was like, now I can't sleep and this feels <laughs> awful. Yeah. And I think uh, games have added dimensions from since I was little that are fundamental things that make people happy. So I was just listing what I think the things that have been human for the longest time. And yeah, this roughly, is the, this is the point I think is interesting. So these yeah. are the this is the list of things you were thinking about like throughout all of human history, these what are, like are the things staples. that have that people have pursued? Mm -hmm that seem to make them happy. So, and I, I didn't write them all, but it's, it's on the one sense, there's a degree of violence, which is enemy tribes, getting your food. Oh, like, so we're going beyond happy. We're just going, this oh, is no, what I'm humans going, have this done. Is human. This is what humans have done throughout history. We okay. are evolved biochemically to have a response to this in the appropriate situation that is positive, mm. which is to say like, there's something about MMA that gets people fired up and hunting that gets people fired up. And even football, which is, you know, as close to like ritualized violence as our major sports get. Sure. So you got that one. All You've got food, on the other hand. You know, you've got all these foodies, people who are just like, food is this foundational thing. Sex, spending time with other people in relationships, which is, doesn't, can be related to a sexual partner, doesn't have to be. Games, you know, and whether that's like kids throwing sticks to hit a, like, what is it, bocce ball style thing that I'm sure that we've played for hundreds of thousands of years stories told around the campfire fundamental as soon as we got language sounds like we were telling stories art you got music you got dance. pottery dance all that kind of stuff and then some it seems that there's also like a spiritual dimension or a or a caring or a helping if you see a wounded animal even though you're a hunter you're like this is my animal <laughs> like i'm going to take care of them but in any event there's fewer than 10 foundational things at least as i'm describing them and maybe you can think of more but games back in the day were just hitting on this like video very games. video games we're hitting on this very narrow like make the number go up optimized thing which i think was empty to a degree yeah or antisocial a little bit you're alone yeah. in, you're normally at the very beginning you're alone in a room maybe you have one other person there exactly often pong you're just and maybe there's another person maybe you're just playing the computer then yeah. at some point in our childhood which my parents didn't get story was added as were co-op but i was into the story games i was into these rpgs and like i was uh one of the stronger readers for my age, because literally I was just reading these RPGs and I would see words I remember on a test in seventh grade. It was, what is a carapace? And I'd played Starcraft and Zerk had carapaces that were their <laughs> armor. So I like knew all these random words and people were like, what the heck? Uh, story was added when we, when we were little. And now recently, I really think they've started to optimize the relationship part of it. You know, we're all on our headsets. You could be, I play with my friend in Australia sometimes. Like you were chatting in between, it's teamwork, cooperation. So this now hits on three major 
human staples. And I really just want to, to everyone and myself, shake the idea that this is a worse use of time than basketball or reading a book. Well, basketball has the how you basketball has the additional benefit of health. Sure. I think that I think the downside, the danger of video games is if you do too much of them and you ignore other parts of your life, they can come at the cost of your health and of your financial situation because it's pretty hard to play basketball every day for six hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's just tough. You can't really do it. So even if you love basketball, you're probably going to play once a day for an hour or three times a week for a couple hours. It doesn't eat into other parts of your life and it keeps you physically healthy. And I think the danger of video games, which I will play and enjoy, is if you do it to the detriment, you can play video games to the detriment of your your other relationships, your physical health, and your monetary situation. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough to play basketball in such a way that it costs you your romantic relationships, your money, and your body. Sure. Most likely your body, actually, if you overwork it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of those things are more addictive. Like food, clearly is people can be, can can eat beyond a level. People can treat sex in such a way. You can, it's tough to dance too much. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Think in 2021, it's tough to find people who are like, I just can't stop. <laughs> no, it's 12 t- I mean, hours at a stretch. Yeah, it's, I guess you can, you can do art so much that it costs you your, your physical, mm-hmm. bo- your body or and your that's, relationships. It's, I would say it's, art has not yet had the technological dopaminergic insertion that makes it so hard to step oh yeah i'm just thinking there are people who go into a dark room 12 hours a day to paint and they end up losing sure their health or their friendships vincent van gogh they go a little bit crazy (laughs) yeah but no i think that's the downside. honestly i i I guess for me i don't know what other people think but if someone says oh yeah i play one hour of video games a day okay cool the downside is when someone says hey i'm i can't i don't want to play video games but i keep doing it because i'm addicted or Mm -hmm. I choose to do it eight hours a day, which I like, but it's just made me fail out of school. Uh, it, that's that's the only thing is these things are engineered to be more addicting than basketball, which doesn't really have people trying to figure out how do we get people to never stop doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I understand. So, yeah, no, I, I and I totally agree. I, the thing that I was thinking of is I, I'm probably just going to make this list and the one that I don't do a ton of is violence. And I don't, and I wonder, because I do listen to people like Joe Rogan and you who do MMA. As I looked through that list, I was like, the biggest missing piece in my life is violence. So you've tried it. I actually think people are just wired differently. Because <laughs> I would agree with you. If you were sitting here, you said, I've played guitar all my life. I was a straight-A student all my life. But I've never tried boxing or mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. I would say, yeah, go for it and stick with it for a month or two. You might love it. But you've done years of Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu because you just always were on the impression that you were going to get in a fist fight <laughs> One someday. day I was going to get in a fight. <laughs> and so you've done it for years. And every time we would talk about it, I would people would say, why do you do Jiu-Jitsu? I would say, I love it. It is a high afterwards. I'm elated on the car at home. And you would always say, I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. I'm just here for self-defense purposes. Yeah. So I think you just might not be wired that way. Like if we were in an ancient society, you might not be a frontline fighter. Sure. And yeah. some of the frontline fighters might not want to sing or dance. You know what I mean? Like all of, if there are nine or 10 broad human categories, it's not to say that every human throughout history is equally yes. interested in all of them. I'm just thinking if we were in ancient Greece, I would be somewhere between a grunt and a general, and you would be somewhere between a beggar or Socrates. Like you're, <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think Socrates was also a fighter, was he? Not to my knowledge. No. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, 
not maybe they're just it's interesting so we've got uh, not that i need to make this but you know how you've got the love languages the five things that, mm-hmm. that people do i wonder if you categorize this if it would be some sort of a helpful categorization for understanding people because as i look through this games is such a theme in my life like mm-hmm. i've been an uh, a tinkerer and a thinker and a strategizer my whole life and there's other people that aren't like that they they've been uh dancers their whole life or they've been foodies i've never understood foodies man. Yeah, yeah. it's i mean I, I can see that they enjoy food but I, I i don't relate to that at all music calls to you yeah i played piano for years and i played saxophone for 10 years and i tried guitar and then i tried piano again as an adult and i never took i never liked playing the saxophone mm-hmm. i did it because i wanted to get into a good college yeah but it was never ever fun to practice whereas i would when i had vocal cord surgery and i couldn't work out because i would strain i would hurt my body i was shadow boxing in the basement i I was just loved that combat thing and i I could i had to drag myself to practice and i walk into your apartment you're just playing guitar for no audience by yourself like i think some people just have different i i do want to lean into and i I guess if you're listening to this part of this is to sort of Potentially make this own list in your own life and find the weak areas because there's always an opportunity that you just haven't leaned into something enough. I do feel like what would be super cool for me, we go to the gym, we do like the routinized like, you know, bench press, Mm -hmm. pull up, whatever. A physical activity that I enjoyed as much as I enjoy League of Legends or Dungeons and Dragons. That's why I surf. I don't have that, man. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I went surfing. I was like, this is a pain. You used to have that with basketball, though. I used to have it with basketball. And then I got old Um, (laughs) and I don't know, I guess like, you know what? I still like basketball. If I could, if I could get, you just feel like you suck at it. I know if you you showed up and were as good as you were at 17, you would like it. Well, if I was as good as a 17, I'd still get stomped relative to the court, relative to the people I was playing. I watched you hit seven threes in a game once. Not in a row. (laughs) I was chucking. Uh, yeah, no, I, I that's something that I should look into. I thought, like, I liked spike ball for a minute, but I sucked at it so hard. I think and it's basketball for you. Henry and I have said this a bunch of times. I don't know why you, you never come when we go play. Yeah, maybe. I think so. Because the thing is, I've done, I've done, I play basketball, jujitsu, boxing, surfing, and I've loved them all, mm-hmm. right? Every time I do any of them, I love them. You've done basketball, boxing, surfing, jujitsu, and you don't like three of the four. Yeah. So I would circle back to the one you do like. Maybe. Especially, it also goes with your whole happened to your inner child right i hated basketball as a kid my dad really? made me play oh you only liked it in high school <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why you don't play anymore maybe you think playing basketball is a win for your dad oh god i hated it he would he that was his thing and yeah that was my way of standing against him so i'll figure it out but there we go that's why you won't play <laughs> you can't make me anymore what else we watched a video that i thought was interesting just two americas at the very least and two and perhaps this is true in the rest of the world if you're watching there was a reporter who had asked ted cruz to wear a mask as he was giving a press conference mm. his response was no i've been immunized if you feel uncomfortable you can stand back and he's had was, both vaccines right i believe so but what was fascinating is that depending on where you went this was like this this clip unadulterated same start same finish was evidence reinforcing two different worldviews and I, that's fascinating to me like that that you come in with such uh i think astral slate what is it astral star codex calls them trapped priors which is all of the things that you've heard about coronavirus understood about ted cruz believe about uh kindness in the world and uh how you should defer to discomfort or not defer to discomfort mm-hmm. in in a situation just lets people look at the same exact situation and come to, oh my gosh, this guy is a science-denying monster. We have the variant out and 
COVID variant's going to kill everybody. And my take, which was more like, finally, <laughs> like, this is why we're getting vaccinated. Well, yeah, I'm confused. If Ted Cruz got the vaccine, but can't give a press conference without wearing a mask, then that seems to mean we will wear masks forever. Because even if 100% of the population well, is immunized. Well, I could steel man. I could steel man it. There's variants and, it, and well, that's what I'm saying. So get over the finish line and have absolutely zero COVID cases before we take off our masks. So wait, just hear me out. If we, if there's variants and the, the vaccine doesn't help against them. It's imperfect. Then we will wear masks forever. Mm -hmm. If Ted Cruz has to wear a mask at a press conference. I think the steel man is if we all lock ourselves, I mean, in, if we all locked ourselves in a room. For mm -hmm. six weeks and interacted via robots delivering food, COVID would would die. Mm -hmm. Like it would just be gone. Um, and so let's get close as close to that as possible. And then the other the other thing is, which I think is a, a constant question, at least in America, is how do you handle someone saying that what you're doing makes them uncomfortable and in what circumstance? Well, can we do? So I think this is interesting. I think there are two interesting things. Can we do a quick like what the what this behavior would look like? if we actually did it and then can we go to the sure. so my because the, the thing with the vaccine is okay there are let's say that if you have if you have the vaccine there's a small chance you can still get covid and whatever that chance is and so maybe ted cruz is is putting some people's lives in jeopardy meaning he could get it he could get it someone it. else could get it that's also true of the flu that's also true of driving a car that's also true of a lot of things. And so my question is, we, we have all agreed that you can do things that might hurt other people. Otherwise, we should have been wearing masks since the day I was born because the flu has always existed and the flu has always killed people. Yeah, yeah. I know COVID is more contagious. I'm not trying to downplay it. Yeah, but, I'm yeah, saying but over with, the last two decades, the, the vaccine, more people than COVID if, has in If the whole population yeah. is vaccinated. I thought the point was to get to a world that didn't have COVID restrictions, I guess. is my That's what I thought we were aiming at. And... If the goal is make sure no one ever gets COVID again, then yeah, we should all be six feet apart forever while wearing mm -hmm. masks forever. Yeah. And so I just, it's a little, it's to me, it seems like COVID has become something that is um, treated with a different thought experiment than everything else. Yes. Because you would, otherwise you would, you would never let someone bring their cell phone into their car. Because if you bring your cell phone into your car, there's, there's a risk a you text and drive. Yeah. And that increased risk, by the way, texting and driving leads to car accidents. So we and the advantages have, can be completely discarded because we don't care about the advantages. What we care about is zero, is zero lives lost. Acceptable. Yes. Zero lives lost. We have to get this down. Yeah. So yeah, it's just interesting that we don't apply this to other. We have like the loosest drunk driving policy of any country, I yeah. think. Well, we've talked about this, that that one of our biggest, where I, I don't know which side of the political aisle this lands on, problems with COVID is that it is consistently ripped out of context in the sense of like 400,000 Americans dead. Is that a lot, a little compared to what, compared to previous years, compared to uh, all causes deaths? If our goal is to the reduction of suffering and the reduction of needless deaths, especially as it affects, you know, I think that most of us would agree if an 85 year old loses five years of their life, that is uh, not as much of a tragedy as if a 25 year old loses 60 years of their life because 
you know, you have to pick one. Well, my other thing is I think people should, if I think there should be an evolution of how one feels about COVID. So when it's first coming out and you don't know how dangerous it is, and it seems like it's killing a lot of people. And so you have certain rules that makes total sense. But then as more information comes out, I think that should change. And then as people get vaccinated, but again, I think the, that should this change. Is, this is part of the problem is as more information comes out, right? Clearly there's different information and even the tenor it could be the same information with a different tone, with a different contextual reference. You know, 400,000 Americans are dead versus uh, fewer Americans died of COVID than died of heart disease in 20. You know, they, they, those have, those can both be true sure, sure. information. Yeah, I guess I'm just confused. What, and this can be the answer, but I'm confused at what the future looks like when we're all vaccinated or have all had COVID. Because if Ted Cruz is supposed to wear a mask, then are we and this can be the answer, we're just forever social distanced and forever wearing masks because this virus is out in the world? Well, I think that there's a second thing, and I don't know what this particular reporter, uh, I can't read their mind, but I did get the sense, this is this is me doing a take that is not based on concrete evidence, that there was a power dynamic at play, which is, can I make you do something? It would make us feel more comfortable. And I think that that's the second question. I don't know if you are ready to, yeah, yeah. to get to about it. it that it's we've we've entered into a space where i think in american culture and perhaps in other areas of the west where being uncomfortable and is a position of power because the understood meta ethic is that everyone needs to act to reduce discomfort especially along certain uh axes like one of them might be with regards to uh with with covid one of them is going to be with regards to uh jokes that you make in the workplace that were acceptable 50 years ago that aren't all those kinds of things but it is very specific so because for instance if you say if you say a joke that i find if you make a joke about donald trump in the workplace and i say hey that makes me uncomfortable i voted for him (laughs) that is oh yeah i was even thinking if you let's say you you say that you're made uncomfortable by a joke Mm -hmm. and i should not make it again that's like 2021 tends to be yeah defer defer to charlie on this Mm -hmm. but if you're making out with a guy and i say hey we're in public can you not do that it makes Mm -hmm. me uncomfortable that would be frowned upon Mm -hmm. in 2021 yeah so it's actually not just about minimizing discomfort yes yes no and i think i think that this is one of the inequalities of the, the liberal conservative divide is that I guess the the liberal path the liberal worldview or the left or whatever whatever it is is and I'm making I'm kind of formulating this in my mind as I go so it might not be true is we have these things that we believe to be true about the world and our ethic is of reducing discomfort and then the conservative worldview is we have these other things that we believe to be true about the world but the ethic is not about reducing discomfort like you're not hearing as much of a push we live in california Maybe. i mean you you literally might just go to arkansas and see two gay guys make out and then have a bunch of people but freak would, out on them yes but that's not i'm uncomfortable does that make sense it's not like hey could you stop this is making me uncomfortable that's the ethic might be fit in the ethic might be conform it might be something else but it's not reduce my discomfort because i am hurt that's, or at least that's not the way that it's it's expressed. I don't know. I mean, my, I, I could imagine someone who's super conservative being made very uncomfortable by PDA from a gay couple and then demanding them to stop. That's that's something that I can 
imagine pretty easily. Okay. Yeah, and I guess I guess I I, I can imagine it as well, and don't have enough. <laughs> yeah, I think it just it's it's interesting. I I think what happens is you defer to the culture in, so that when you sit, when you're the conservative person in California, you don't have any power. Your discomfort does nothing. And actually, if you were to bring it up, I imagine that the people around you would turn on you if you were in public, right? And they would shame you. But then if you're in a in a red state and you were to do that, I think that the group around you might say, yeah, this guy's a good point. You guys should stop and get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm obviously, that's a little bit of oversimplification. Not everyone in certain places feels certain things, but I think it's the power goes to the people who believe what the majority of the people around them believe. Interesting. So I, I'm, I'm formulating this as I go. Perhaps when you say, or that reporter says, for instance, it would make us all more comfortable. That is a a bit of a covert way of having a duel of worldviews. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what you're saying without saying it is COVID is dangerous and deadly. And, and the way that we need to deal with it is by all wearing masks. Even if you're vaccinated. Even if you're vaccinated. Yep. And the way that you simply stated is it would make me more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's probably true in all different areas of, of America so that, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing when you when you poo-poo PDA from same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when you say that certain jokes or words can't be said. Yeah. Yeah, it's your way of saying this is... This is true, which kind of hides the naked fact that, like, these are two opposing worldviews that need uh, evidence to be bolstered and yeah. we can't necessarily inject all of that into this, this one interaction <laughs> that's going to allow us to do it. So all that we say is uh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, this... But- this this offends my pers- view of the world. Yeah. And so forgetting where geographically it's located, I can imagine that same conversation happening between two people that were in a room of 10 people. And one goes, hey, it makes me uncomfortable that you're not wearing a mask. Can you put your mask on? The other one goes, I've been vaccinated. It's the whole reason I got vaccinated. I'm not putting my mask on. Mm-hmm. If the other people in the room think that wearing a mask is important, even if you're vaccinated, and they all say so, the person is going to basically be pressured into the fact that they're outnumbered and if they're a youtuber then they'll go on an apology tour and say that they're so sorry they should have recognized (laughs) but if you put them in a room of 10 people who all turn on the person that made the request and said that's stupid i'm wearing a mask because i'm not vaccinated but this person shouldn't because they are vaccinated Mm -hmm. then that person will shrink in most cases because they're outnumbered 10 to 1 yeah so i think it's completely it's completely based on what the people around you side with yeah Yep, which is... And okay. no one changes their mind, by the way. In both cases, they leave thinking the same thing. They're just going to alter their behavior temporarily so to fit I, in. I had I had a similar... Th- so David Dobrik is in, in hot water now. If the, the short story is that somebody that is in his vlog squad, which is the actors, or I guess they were friends. They weren't acting when then he did his vlogs, is accused of having uh, raped a, a girl when they were filming a vlog and David was in the house and he Well they weren't filming the rape just to be clear. No, no, no. He <laughs> was he was they were like contributing to an environment I don't I don't honestly exactly understand the criticism of David, but it's that he contributed to an environment that allowed for that or made jokes about it. Now his well, No, he didn't make jokes. I think what they're saying is that he <clears throat> No, he did. Afterwards he was like he had a four out of fives and he negotiated it. Like it was my perspective of, of David's like one. I'm not sure what happened in that room, but assuming that it that it was rape, uh, David clearly didn't think so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like anytime that somebody's cracking a joke, or not anytime, most of the time that somebody's cracking a horrible joke about like whether it's rape 
or dead babies or whatever, uh, it's because they don't think that that thing is a real, literal, hovering, looming threat. So that was, I, I do think that some of, there was just a lot of heat on him from a lot of different angles, and this is one that, that really got him taken down. But what I found was interesting, as you said, like there's this room effect of everybody saying it. Mm-hmm. So he was accused, the girl says that uh, essentially she was too drunk to consent. And, and, and that's why that happened, that she didn't, I don't believe her claim is that she had said, no, it was that I was too drunk, I was passing out, I was falling asleep and could not possibly have consented. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at um, what's interesting is that David went from, okay, where, where I sit, which is like, I don't know you. I don't know the guy that you accused. Uh, let's take all accusations seriously and investigate. And I, uh, I support the investigation of this, like take it very seriously, which is where I would sit in something like this too. I believe her. I a hundred percent believe her. And the reason that he, in my opinion, went from, you know, I'm going to sit and see where this lands to I 100% believe her is because the room around him went, you bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, uh, which I thought was interesting because to me, with any claim of theft, murder, rape, embezzlement, whatever, it's like let's the, – the, the response should be let's take this seriously mm-hmm. and investigate. Uh, and his response is I believe the accuser, which I think – is dangerous in in any sort of thing. Not to say that she's wrong. She might be 100% right, and I would treat it seriously were I the cops or anybody else. Um, but it's just interesting that he <laughs> that he had to immediately go, and so did all of his friends who had initially defended themselves or defended, uh, defended the crew or said I wasn't involved. They all then had to go so hard to, I believe, I believe her, which I think is just indicative of the effect that you were talking about, which is when everyone around you says that you're wrong, all of a sudden it's not about getting to the truth of whether COVID is is dangerous or not. It's about conforming to the social pressures that you feel on you. And I think that that's a continuing problem of the social media mob. <laughs> is that I guess it's true in the world as well. It's not unique to social media. We, yeah, I mean, for, I don't know anything about the David Dobrik situation. So without talking about that specifically, if you just zoom out, you we've talked about this before. Uh, your brain is wired to help you survive long enough to procreate. Mm-hmm. The pursuit of truth is not its primary purpose. And so when the pursuit of truth for anything, even if it's just, should I, it's literally anything. I'm not even going to give an example. If ever the pursuit of truth gets in the way of your brains, what your brain thinks will help you survive long enough to replicate, mm-hmm. it will change what you think is true. It's got one master. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> so, which means that you, but you won't even know it. So you, you could find preposterous evidence, completely convincing, if the believing of that evidence Facilitates, helps you yeah. avoid violence, stay in your community, live long enough to procreate. That's why most everyone born into a very religious community ends up believing the religion they're born into. It's mm-hmm. it's very rare to be born 
extremely religious as a Mormon and then decide that actually you're going to be an extremely devout Muslim instead. And it's very rare to be born a devout Muslim and then decide, no, I think the Mormon tenets of religion make more sense. So it's interesting because everybody finds their own birth religions tenets the most persuasive if they're presented with other religious tenets. Yeah, yeah. And that's because it's it has there's a great cost <laughs> to deciding that that's not true. So yeah, you're it's very hard to get yourself to actually objectively weigh if something's true or not if it has any cost at all. Any survival to your cost, survival yeah. and ability to replicate. Yeah, 100%. No, I've been thinking about religion and I've been trying to expand the definition in my head cuz typically I think of like your religion is like Judaism or Islam mm-hmm. or Christianity or Scientology or like it's, oh, I think being, I think considering yourself a liberal or a conservative mm-hmm. or a Democrat or a Republican or a communist or a capitalist can be a form of religion in the sense that you have the same devoutness and you require the same level of evidence yeah. against it to change your mind. Sure. Well, that's what I was thinking about. Like, what are the elements that constitute, because this is one of the things that has blown my mind recently and I've had to update my worldview. Typically, a very good heuristic is follow the money. You know, like mm-hmm. when, when there's a decision made by a body and you're trying to figure out why do they do it? It's like, oh, they're going to make more money. Yeah, why'd the news do this? Why'd why the news did YouTube do this? Why do this? this? But you see, like, uh, the news, CNN, like, got Donald Trump out of office. And Despite then, the fact that it's much worse. It costs him so much money. Yeah. Like, you see this with a lot, not, and uh, I'm not necessarily grouping this in the same category, of uh, there, are, there are woke uh, initiatives that, companies are now undertaking that cost them money mm-hmm. in the short and the long term. And that breaks a very reliable heuristic of mine, which is follow the money. When you know, why did they give to that charity? Why did they do this? Like typically it's it's you can follow the money and you see that there's value in it for them. Uh, woke has broken that in many ways that I see. So I've been trying to figure out one, I'm sure that I have my own quote-unquote religion that I was born into, even though it's not one of the major labeled ones. But, like, what are the things? And it seems to be, you know, what does wokeness have in common with a lot of the religions? Well, it's, it's an overarching worldview that explains a lot of things. It tends to have an infidel. You know, like, a lot of these religions have an outgroup. And, in fact, the religions that um, seem to struggle to perpetuate, like Jainism, don't have that as much. It's like everything sure. is sacred and wonderful. Uh, there's a proselytizing element. Like you think of any sort of mimetic evolutionary thing, which is to say, imagine an animal that you, doesn't have a sex drive. You're saying, when you say proselytizing, you mean they convert. They actively They're convert. They're actively going out. Like Jews don't have this in the same way. And, yeah, we're and, like panda bears. We just refuse. <laughs> we refuse. If you try to convert to Judaism, it's really hard. Yes. You have to go to a rabbi three times while they try to talk you out of it. Yes. So like one of the things that makes religions... Uh, I guess this isn't one of the things that makes religions stick, but it's one of the things that makes religions last is an evangelical proselytizing arm of it, which you see, of course, with woke. Yeah. Um, I would say so far, everything you described also fits political parties. Yeah. yeah. It's always been interesting to me that the pro-life political party is the pro-death penalty political party and the pro-gun political party. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that any of those positions are wrong. It's to say that... um, if you tell me your position on one of them, most of the time, and I know we're going to get comments from people that disagree because they're not like this, but most of the time, I can guess your political party and your belief on other things. Oh, if you tell me so like, what's your stance on abortion, I, I, what are the odds? 80 to 90% I can list off six or seven just, other things. Which is just strange because they they're not all based on the same 
philosophical belief, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So or same with taxes. You tell me your, your belief on uh, abortion. I can probably guess how you feel about taxes. Mm -hmm. These things are very distinct in that you would think that you would have a philosophy that guided your economic moral decisions and that they would lead you to unique decisions on each issue. But it tends mm -hmm. to be that you get these clusters where if you believe one thing, I can guess where you fall on all the others. That's why I say political parties remind me of religion as well in that they are a set of beliefs you adopt from other people instead of coming to a, to them yeah. f through internal investigation. Sure. Yeah. I, I think as a, you just triggered something, I don't know how, but within, I'm thinking of like the other things. So they have infidels. They also have wrong speak and incredibly intense punishment for stepping outside. So like if you leave an Amish community or a Mormon community, you're very likely to lose everyone mm -hmm. if you say the wrong words in in certain religious communities you're very likely to be kicked out and i think this is true to a degree in the scientific community like if you take a stance on a hot button topic like climate change and deny or or say that hey this isn't caused by humans or something and you and you point to evidence which to the perfect to the capacity of your brain supports that belief people are not loyal to the scientific endeavor, which would, oh, how do we incorporate this? It's, it, you're a denier, you're probably, this is what I've heard at least, that you're, you're shunned from really? that community. That's, that's what I've heard. I wouldn't have guessed that. That's what I've heard. Um, and again, that's, that's, I don't take that to be gospel, but I do think that, that, um, yeah, there's, there's a built-in immune system against mm -hmm. change in these, in these sorts of things that I guess makes them perpetuate. But I, I don't have all of the elements of them listed out but there's which what i find fascinating is that yes people care about money and incentives explain a ton like and i mean financial incentives but there is something that can get people to suicide bomb blow themselves up uh give up their job for someone else who was a marginalized yeah. person or you'll see it you'll see a tech platform risk its platform status which would risk be its platform the death, status the death of yeah. it we're and talking about YouTube, and they will like do it for a political. The, the removal of uh, a lot of a lot of right content, which is making it to me at least more and more obvious that they are that they are publishers and not platforms, which mean that they're going to be regulated different. They open themselves up to to all different kinds of lawsuits, mm -hmm. which it's tough for me to imagine them winning. Isn't this what you would want, though? Wouldn't you Wouldn't you like people to put their morality above their greed? Uh yes. It it. It, I just, it, it forced me to rethink the world because that's, when I think of, is that how you, like, that's not how the world tends to work. When, when no, I know no. most people Mo and I think of what's your morality, I watch people take their stated morality and subsume it underneath their greed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. That's what I see all the time. And to see the reverse of that, which is a worldview superseding short-term gain is... It makes it impressive. It makes me ask, what is the difference between a religious morality that supersedes short-term incentives and stated morality that we all have, which is always <laughs> beneath it? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. No, and I like that distinction because even forgetting business for a second, you'll uh, everybody says they don't lie, and then you just catch everybody saying things that aren't true. Mm -hmm. So there's that stated morality that most people feel very little attachment to if, if, they, can break, convenient. if they can break their <laughs> stated morality for more money or to escape the conflict that they or a confrontation that they don't want to deal with or 
I mean, this is what cheating is, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I would, no, I wouldn't. People say all the time, I'd never cheat. And then they go make out with someone else because they can break their state of morality in exchange for temporary enjoyment. But then when you think you're going to go to hell for it, you still might do it, but you're less likely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do think there's more of a stickiness to people who have that religious belief versus just a stated moral belief. Is it the case? And I'm trying to figure it out. My, my first hypothesis was that religious morality carries damnation with it, which mm-hmm. is why it's so strong. But is that, is that always true? Like, I guess one of the most powerful things about uh, Christianity is that God's always watching. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter where you are. You do bad, damnation can can follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, man, people would still do all kinds of yeah, yeah. People still cheat. Yeah. <laughs> so then I Pre-marital go. sex. People still happening all over the yeah. place in religious communities. But at the same time, you could get people to sign up for a crusade. You know, and and I guess they probably weren't asked nicely if they wanted to go so i take that back but um yeah you it's it's i guess the question that i have that i have not yet answered is what does a belief or worldview need to have to cause it to supersede short-term incentives which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't i haven't quite figured it out but it seems clear to me that wokeness has now entered that territory of it is no it's not bound by short-term incentives which makes it on par with the power of religion because um, I think that that has the same sort of power over people. So I don't know. Anything else? Before we go on to answering questions? Or or anything. <clears throat> you want to talk about the Colorado shooting or not? Nah? We can mention it. Well, yeah. I mean, so you, I'm just parroting your own thoughts back at you at this point, <laughs> but I'll just say them for posterity. You had pointed out something interesting to me, which was we had a shooting in Atlanta, and we had people come on the news and say this was a race-inspired a race inspired shooting. And we know that because even though the shooter said that it was for some other reason, we look at the outcomes. This is, this is a common philosophy today. You just look at the outcomes. Six of the nine people shot were Asian. That's way more than the demographics of the population. This went, was, to, went to Asian locations. This, this is a, a shooting that was based on anti, a desire for anti-Asian violence. And then uh, I think a week or so later, there was a shooting in Colorado. A person of a certain race shot 10 people, 100% of whom I believe were the same race, but different than the shooter. Mm -hmm. But the same news media, the same political pundits didn't cover it as a hate crime. They didn't assume it was uh, racially motivated violence. Mm -hmm. And the shooter was Arab. I believe, and the victims were Syria. Yeah, and this this was another thing that complicated because the early things is they the, the shooter came out alive, and as they do it from the the overhead view of this person, they're fairly light skinned, and this is another. Well, they thing, thought they were like, white. Well, what well, is the thing? What is white? You know what I mean? Like, is it is it a skin tone thing? Is that how we're going to do it? Because if we play this game in terms of like the uh, the hex code of your of your yeah, skin yeah. color, we're going to get all kinds of confusing things. Sure, but the <laughs> but the victims were all Caucasian. The victims were all white. Yeah. And no news media. And this person was from came Syria on and said, and, "This yeah. is a this is a Syrian person motivated by hatred for white people. This was a anti-white. They could have gone shooting. to a mosque. They could have gone to somewhere. Yeah, else. this person they, they have, easily they, could have picked a location. Selected, that, they selected a location. Yeah. And I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying that the first shooting was or wasn't race based. And I'm not saying the second shooting was or wasn't race based. It's just interesting. The most interesting thing that I thought about when you pointed it out was 
how differently they were covered. Mm-hmm. How the first the first shooting was very much a anti-Asian shooting, and the second shooting was very much covered as a we need more gun control shooting. Yeah. I have no takeaway, but that's just... I thought two, it was incredible that it happened very, a week later. Two very like, unique week? ways to cover, yeah. given that the second shooting was even more... Like, these are all... percent yeah, yeah. I can imagine if this was a white shooter with 10 Asian victims, it would have been about anti-Asian violence. But when it's a non-white shooter with the white victims, it's about gun control. And maybe the issue is gun control. It's actually not to say that this was or wasn't anything, but... It's mostly just this is how we're getting our news. Well, I've 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 sort of made my I think that um, the woke stuff is is a conclusion in search of evidence, you know, and and so we another thing that we spoke about that was these these are minor things, and I try not because I just what I what I've reminded myself lately is that as a person who is not religious, if you are totally go for it, I've spent my whole life hearing things about religion. And decisions that people made that I thought were silly because of they were based on religious presuppositions. That you don't believe. That I don't believe. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the whole world. And now I'm just getting used to a world where there are woke presuppositions <laughs> that make people believe the things that they believe that I think are silly. Right. Like uh, you happen to think the NBA is a meritocracy. You don't think it's run by people who favor black people because of their skin color. Yes. I happen to agree with you. I think that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> well, that even the woke thing does because this is the problem. And this is, is that it is the conclusion is, or, or I guess the evidence that is often searched for is like, look, if we, we have, these are the marginalized communities. They are, um, as it compares to women and men, women, as it compares to whites and non-whites, non-whites, and of varying degrees, they're that more uh, victimized mm-hmm. groups uh, as it compares to heterosexual, homosexual, homosexual as it compares to cis and trans, trans. These are the marginalized communities. And if they are overrepresented in any sort of negative outcome, we know that that's... that's Discrimination. Discrimination and and systemic privilege and all of the kind of stuff. But if they are... Or if they're underrepresented in any sort of positive outcome. But if Mm -hmm. we see the reverse of that, like the NBA, like homosexual men men earning 10% more than their heterosexual counterparts, like women living seven years longer than men on average, making up 5% of prisons, fewer assaults, fewer homeless. Those can all be discarded. <laughs> those They're not because of bias. Those are not because of bias. Yeah. Which, I mean, by the way, I don't think that don't gay think men that in America are. make 10% more on average than straight men because of a bias towards them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's because of a bias. But what you're highlighting is... That it if is not it a were the reverse, it's not a principle it were that is the applied evenly. It, it yes. can only be applied in one direction. No, the, and the danger is if if homosexual people, homosexual men, make ten percent more than heterosexual men, and it's not due to bias, which I don't think it's because corporations are trying to pay gay people more. Yeah. Then, when you do find a situation where the reverse is true, and let's say there's an imaginary world where homosexuals made ten percent less than heterosexuals, it doesn't automatically mean. It's due to anti-gay discrimination, is, although it could be. Yeah, it could be. But you would want to Ask. suss it out. Yeah. You wouldn't just assume so this it. Is, this is what I asked you. I was like, I just had this this thing. I was like, oh my God, imagine if we lived in a world where men lived seven years longer than women. Imagine if women made up 95% of prison inmates. I mean, Well, that you, would be the bigger thing. If women made up 95 Do you hear those stats all day long? Like the government, the U.S. White House on their Instagram just put out uh, a picture of a dollar. And this is how much people make. At the top is white men with $1. Then it's Asian women, 88 cents. And it's white women. Notably absent is above a dollar, which would be Asian men. Yeah, they just, <laughs> making, they just didn't put it on the graphic. They just didn't put it on the graphic. But it's, and it's uh, that, that 
is just a, a microcosm of this worldview, which is the top is the oppressor, which is which is the straight white man. But it's like, oh my God, could you, I was just like, could you imagine a world where women lived less long? Can you imagine how often we'd hear about that? Can you imagine if they made up 95% of inmates or 75% of homeless people? Could you, like that would be I think such we would hear about a it. crisis. And again, my point with all of this is not that any particular instance uh, is not discrimination. Mm-hmm. It's that it cannot be assumed to be. Yeah, it might be. You just have to look into it and figure out why is this actually happening. Yeah. Um, but, and the other thing just in terms of that was fascinating, like on Instagram, which I think is a, like if YouTube, I would say, leans uh, relatively right and Twitter leans relatively left, Instagram, I believe, falls kind of in the middle of, of American politics. I don't know. On this particular post from the White House, which has this dollar and it's still up, you could see it. All of the comments are like, from I think middle of the road, like this has been debunked. Like this is nonsense. Like this is, doesn't account for differences in choices or jobs, et cetera. We also left off Asian Americans <laughs> and um, not Native American Indians, but just mm-hmm. from India, Indian yeah. Americans that make even more than Asian, East Asian, East yeah. Asian Americans. Like yeah. white, white Americans are not at the top of the earning totem pole on average. Mm-hmm. Although there are some making a killing, like Jeff Bezos. Like that's just not that's not who makes up the highest median income as a race. And what, what I take from that is I look at this and I go, there's no way that this is an honest attempt. There's no oh, way. Oh, yeah, well, because they, they, the they had Asian women on the chart, like, so it's somebody, not like they and, forgot but, but Asian men. Somebody immediately suggested in the comments that this is absent. You know what I mean? Somebody immediately suggested that you're missing this. You know, And it goes, oh, duh. Like, that's so instant. And the only thing that I can relate that to. At least they didn't delete the comment. Yeah, that would be the, that'd be the 1984 way to handle yeah, it. Good for them. But again, it's just it's just a comment, but it's it's I think a microcosm. Uh, I'm going, how do I best understand this? And I go, oh, you have to understand this in the context. And I know that the, probably there's some religious people that feel attacked. I'm not intending it to be, but this is just my experience of religion was it is impervious to uh, the pointing out of contradiction. <laughs> you know, like I, I would remember speaking to my aunt about some of her beliefs when I was a young, I was probably 16, and we were talking about uh, her beliefs, and I and I brought up contradictions in them, and I remember, we're, we're okay now, but at the time she started, she got very uncomfortable. She started physically shaking because <laughs> she, she didn't have yeah, a very verbal response to your... Kind of like shut down the conversation and we left, and then never spoke of it again. This was actually a conversation that was planned to move me towards Christianity and wound up as like a, we will never speak of this again. Mm. Um, she was trying to return you to the flock. Yeah. I think she, she loved me and cared about me and wanted what was best for me. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was impervious to, to the pointing out of contradiction, which is not true of her. I'm sure in many areas of her life, it was like, Oh, like you're redoing your patio and you know, you think you have the best guy for the best price, but here's, here's actually someone who says they're cheaper. She wouldn't be like, She'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's I'm going to go with this other guy. But mm-hmm. that's not what I see in these areas. And I'm just trying to get used to and constantly remind myself, this isn't new. You've lived with this for a long time. People are still, you could still be, you know, I love religious people. As You know, I have tons of friends that are that, are, that believe these kinds of things. We even have good discussions. Sometimes they don't want to continue. That's fine. And I'm sure the same is probably true to a large degree with people who hold the beliefs as exemplified in that Instagram photo, which is, sure, you're cool, I'm cool, we're fine. 
we're never going to cross this chasm except if you really, really love and trust me. <laughs> well, that's the, so for, with all of this, the biggest, the biggest shift for me is if you, if you do elevate something to being a religion, you go, oh, I'm never going to talk this person. I'm not even going to change their mind with, with a conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could try to loosen the, the jar like, yeah. uh, you know, the, what's that YouTube guy we talked to? I forget the practice. The, oh uh, gosh, I can't. His name is Street Epistemology. Street Epistemology, yeah. So you can, you can loosen the jar or whatever, but you would never expect to sit down with someone who's devoutly religious and be able to change their mind with a conversation. That would that's just ludicrous. It's it's obviously not going to happen in most cases. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing, oh, that's also true of political issues. It's also true of social issues. Like Anything? this is this is just. Uh, yeah, you can sit down and have a conversation with someone about so many things and change their mind, and then there's other things that just require a lot more than that if they're at a company that is to your opinion doing evil in the world where they make their bread from right so it's like anything that's survival and survival can be literal survival or ego survival Mm -hmm. is attached to is is very very difficult and this is i guess the most interesting piece is this is going to be true for you as well and me as well which is to say if you can identify those things that you depend upon for your survival you have identified the most likely areas for self-deception. In fact, guarantees of self-deception in those areas. And survival is not just literal. like I said, it's not just literally living. It's uh, continued pleasure. It's continued uh, sense of this is who I am and my identity, which is why whenever I talk about psychedelics, it's like when they kill you and you get that ego death, all of a sudden you can see the truth. And it's, I don't, it's, it's weird. I wonder what comes first. If the ego death comes first and then you see the truth or you see the truth and then the ego death happens. Um, I'll pay attention next time <laughs> to it. Anything else? Yeah. Cool. Do you want to hop in? Oh, I do have something before we go to questions. Got, I finally got a link for marketing step-by-step. <gasps> so yeah, Dang. this is a program. It's normally $1,000. We got it for you guys for $97. Well, it's, it's, it's not normally $1,000. It used to be $1,000, right? Uh, it still sells somewhere for a thousand dollars. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't really understand how they do their pricing. I think depending on who has the link, there's a different price. Got but it. I don't know. This is that's just my uh, limited understanding. But mm-hmm. it's it's the best program if you want to start a business of any of the programs I have ever gone through. And so I reached out to them and I said, "Hey, can we get a link to this? It's an affiliate link, so we split the money fifty fifty. I want to talk about it on the podcast. I want to send it to our email list. It was." transformational for charisma on command so yeah i I love the program it's called marketing step by step it's it basically completely rewires how you think about business i learned more from this program that's a month long than i did from four years in undergraduate business school and it's the only reason not the only reason without it charisma on command would be far less successful today so if anybody likes what we've done and wants to do what we've done i I highly recommend this program so it's at ebonpagantraining.com slash charisma and we'll put a link in the YouTube description. But I'm super excited about it. Uh, and yeah. Th- this is going to be our standard go-to. We're, we're compiling right now a page that has like, so you want to start a business, start here. Four-hour work week number one, marketing step-by-step number two, running lean number three, and That's stop. it. Like, Get those three, start <laughs> like, your business. You don't need anything else. And then we'll have some other resources for when you're, if you've you hit 100K. Yeah. And if you've hit 100K and you want to hit a million. We're still building that out right now. Um, uh, and trying to be as, what is the word? As is pithy the right word as like tight well, and wanted, essentialist as possible i want to talk area. about this i think it's done it's got six things on it and i think adding a seventh just detracts from the no, sixth you forget the pre-sell formula i i don't think it's as 
core. You, okay, you, I, I built Charisma University, but isn't it in Running Lean? No, it's not. So this, so Running Lean is the interview section and the coming up with the like, oh, it's Charisma. That's Running Lean, which seems like a duh. Today, no, and you co-create the chapters though, right? You co-create the modules. That was. That was the other one. That was pre-sale formula. Really? Yes. I thought that was in Running Lean. Nope. Doesn't he make his chapters by talking to the people that the book is for? No. That's how I I used that. That was all pre-sale formula. Oh, interesting. That was how I wrote the book. That was how I made Charisma University. So Running Lean is, quite frankly, pre-sale formula is, uh, Running Lean is a little bit more foundational, but it's a similar idea. It's a co-created process to really identify what the market needs, but um, it doesn't exist anymore. Pre-sale formula. It's now known as interactive launch 2.0. I think it's a thousand dollars. We got it for free as a bonus when we signed up for this thing. Lead yeah, pages. can you buy it? I can check it out. It seems newer. Uh, we can we can contact. No, no, can we? I'm saying, can someone buy pre-sale formula? I, not the pre-sale formula, and I don't know if this is it, but I believe I was googling this last night. They've now changed it to interactive launch. This is for someone. Don't this? Is, it's a thousand dollars. So I'm like, don't go buy this right away. Buy this once you have an audience and you're trying to convert especially if you're a coach a coaching program into an online program and you've got an email list of a couple hundred people or a youtube channel over a couple thousand subs or something like that that's where you want this and what this lets you do is build out a program that is designed and it's got the value of it is it's that it has exact ad copy emails to write like here's your monday email here's your wednesday email here's your friday email uh, was, was so helpful when I did this the first time with the book and then again with Charisma University. Um, but there's a handful. that That's the big one that's that's not on that page. Got it. Yeah, because I think the less... I think you just put the core ones on. I think there's the when you have the 50 best self-improvement books, yep. that is a disservice to the 10 best Well, do you think Spin books. Selling is on there? Because Spin Selling isn't for me. Like... No, no, you put that on. I think Prosperous Coaches. Oh, then let's take it off. Okay. It's not on there for me. I was just, I was just listing. I, I didn't think so. What was on it for me is you had a guy, Phil, who taught you to sell. Yeah. And then he just mentored you, and then you kind of passed that down to me. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a book on selling that's as quite as strong. Prosperous yeah. Coach is helpful, but it was, it was that mentor that actually taught us to sell. Um. And he, yeah, but we can we can potentially think of other things if there's other categories like how do I go to a billion? It's like I have so much resources. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's other stuff that might make it on the list, but that we've read in the last year, and it's TBD. You know, this this is stuff I know is excellent. There's other times you read business books and you think it's excellent because it sounds excellent, and then you try it, and it's not so good. <laughs> and so E-Myth. I. E-Myth is that one for me. Not to say it's a bad book, but we thought that we could standard operating procedure our entire business after that, make it like McDonald's, throw the burger on for five minutes, flip the burger, six minutes later, you put it on, circle of ketchup, only 1.25 teaspoons. We tried doing that with a lot of the processes in Charisma on Command, and it just doesn't Especially work. the scripting the videos, which is a, a bit more art than yeah. just, um, you know, a McDonald's burger. Yep. But I think he, the guy who wrote the E-Myth also tried to E-Myth his business we, and it didn't we, work, right? Yeah, we've, we've spoken about this. He, his next book is, this is just like the, the game, uh, which is it ends on this like thunderous, we did it using my process. And then the next book picks up at like everything was falling apart. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. You told me that this well, worked. So, so for the game, <laughs> he ends it with I'm the greatest pickup artist on the planet. And then his next book comes out and he has social anxiety around women. Yeah. What is the E-Myth's 
version the of this is and again it's it's not so much about him but it's you build this this systematized business it can work and you you build it like a franchise and then and you then can then leave it doesn't you require leave. you and yeah. the next book is we left all our franchises and they started screwing everything up and the business was losing money and i was like i wish you told me that before i spent four to six months trying to do this because yeah. as soon as i read that that line which was deeper into the book where it, it actually comes out in a story form i was like all right, I just, I put it away. I was like, you, you MF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this isn't like, going to work. Like, and it's not that it's, it's standard operating procedures have space in business. Depending on the business. certain businesses that they work well on. Like yeah. McDonald's where you're hiring 15 year olds out of middle school and high school to have a, a routinized training to make a burger is totally possible. And your product isn't supposed to be a hundred dollar burger from a, from a Michelin three-star restaurant. Like the, the standardization process You'd have to train more to go work at standardization cut. works when you need to repeatedly with human inputs create the same product. So if you're trying to like run a hotel and it's like, here's how we do the cleaning, here's how we do the this, here's how we like those sort of checklist things works really well. Yeah, we're never going to change the sheets because people won't know any better. <laughs> uh, not there's many businesses that are not like that, ours included. Did you hear about that thing they did? No, someone that's you know, they just have to come up with news stories. So they went to a hotel and they did, they took a black light marker and they drew a circle or an X or something on a sheet. So they said, okay, if the sheet gets washed or if they change the sheet, then this will go away. And then they came in the next day as a different person or something and they blacklit it and it was the same sheet. So the conclusion was that that hotel doesn't change the sheets. They uh, just, I, they I just might. remake them. You think so? That seems silly. Listen, man, I'm just telling you what this, <laughs> what this reporter said. All right, let's keep going. We got questions, or is there anything else you want to talk no, about? No, no, that's it. We're good. <clears throat> questions. First one is, uh, I'm highly skilled and do a good job at my company, but unfortunately I have to work with people that are very mediocre and envious. I'm friendly to everyone, but do not share any private details about my life, nor do I care about my workmates' private life. Workmates often seem to hate you when you are good and try to discredit you behind your back. How would you proceed in such a situation? So, honestly, I don't know because I, I will say some of the words in this made me think that you might be coming off and may truly be uh, feeling superior to them in a way that is perhaps unwarranted. So the, the parts that made me think that, which is, and these could also be true things. I was going to say, why do you think that it's unwarranted? It might be warranted. You know what I mean? It, it totally might be, but I'm just going to say so because I'm not there. I don't know. But that, you know, that they're mediocre and that you're disinterested in them in their lives. Now there's a circumstance that you could throw me into where I would feel entirely justified saying both of those things. <laughs> like everyone's mediocre and I don't care. Um, I guess I feel like we might have a larger problem here, which I just want to call attention to, which is if you don't care about any of your coworkers and you think they're all mediocre, I think you should be looking elsewhere. Number one, now, I'll come back to your question, but it's like, yeah, if you're surrounded by people that you think aren't pushing you, kind of suck, and you're just disinterested in them as humans, maybe you can get a promotion or a different job or a different industry. Does yeah, that, go work at Google X where you're surrounded by yeah. geniuses that have sold multi-million yeah. dollar businesses to Google and then gone and been part of their moonshot let's, program. Let's I promise you won't think that they're mediocre and uninteresting. Let's Gordian knot this problem first, which is... This is pro this probably isn't right for you. If you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room all the time, and if you do go to Google room. X and you find all your coworkers <laughs> mediocre, it's time to look deep inside. So that said, let's let's come back to the question, which is, um, can you read the question again, Justin? The last piece. Yep. Um, 
I'm friendly to everyone, but do not share any private details about my life, nor do I care about my workmates' private life. Workmates often seem to hate you when you are good and try to discredit you behind your back. How would you proceed in such a situation? Well, one thing, and these are just things to try, because my, my experience in the workplace is limited. Yours is, you probably have five times as much as I do. Well, I'll let you go first, so I don't preempt you. I was never that good that I needed to be shut down. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember this being. I, I feel like there's two different from my experience, which is going to be not the same as everyone else's in investment banking and in private equity. There were two mental categories. Are you likable and are you good? And people had no problem separating the two. Mm -hmm. Who got promoted was the person that was likable and good, mm -hmm. but no one would deny that the abrasive person was talented or that the untalented person was likable. Yeah. So I've never encountered this thing where now what they might do is go to a boss and talk shit on the person for being dislikable. But I don't know how one could, unless it's your boss doing it, I don't know how someone could make your work product seem worse than it is. Yeah. Unless it's your boss well, maybe not hiding your talents to your boss's boss so I, I think i was not the good consultant there was a good consultant and i liked him he helped me he yeah, <laughs> uh, built you scripts right he built macros for me that helped me do my job way faster um yeah they so i guess i'm i i don't know that your workplace is going to go like this i was only in a workplace for a year and a half so this is my experience as the guy who wasn't on top but had no ill will towards the guys who were better than me except one who was kind of a dick um for me it came down to personality yeah yeah it was no like we had we had a talent one guy acted superior and and injected judgment into much of what he said mm -hmm. and thought that he was and made it evident hot shit there were other guys that were just as good as him but were friendly offered to help me uh, and didn't have an air of judgment mm -hmm. when they spoke about things. That's my experience as well. And I, I can only speak for myself. I really liked those two guys, tried to work with them, talked them up when possible, uh, and they did the same for me. It was like I I was like, he did so good here. So he was like, actually, he helped me think about it. <laughs> you know, like he described what we needed to be built, and then I built it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, there was a there was a uh, flowing of credit. So I, I don't want to speak out of turn because I have such limited experience here. But I guess I would go to like I wonder. One of the hypotheses is are is that is that sense of superiority and complete disinterest in them as a human. As long as you feel that, it's probably going to come through, and they're probably not going to like you. And I don't think it's because you're excellent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's because you don't think highly of them. Uh, and the answer is well. Can you change your perspective to be more interested in them, think more highly of them, or do you need to go elsewhere? Because if you're if you're gonna, yeah, like, if you're in a situation where you don't respect the people around you and you're cordially pleasant, of course you're not gonna have a good relationship, and they're not gonna like you. And we can attribute that to you being good, but you don't like them. <laughs> it kind of sounds like, uh, and whichever came first, the chicken or the egg, like that is where that relationship will stay. If you'd like it to change, you're gonna have to be the one that moves first, and that means moves out or shifts internally no and you you raise an interesting point which is that you don't have to you don't have to dislike people because they're not 
as good as you. I mean, Elon Musk is, I did a video on him. He constantly, people are trying to credit him for everything that his company's doing. He's constantly going, I have an amazing team at SpaceX. They have done so much. Me getting the credit for it just because I'm the face is a complete disservice to them. Andrew like there's Carnegie, not- allegedly, that was his big thing is that he, um, and again, these guys, I think often, whether it's true or not, they distribute appreciation potentially wider than it need be. And I think that's probably a good thing to do if you're one of the presidents did that too, right? Which president was that? The general. There's a lot of generals. Washington Grant. I thought there was someone, maybe he's the guy who, (laughs) who, um, who authorized D-Day. But he said, if this goes poorly, I will take the blame. And if it goes well, we'll credit the soldiers. Eisenhower was the general. Yes. Eisenhower was the general for D-Day. Yeah. Yeah. Eisenhower was like, it's all my fault if it goes bad. And it's all them if it goes well. Right. Yeah. And, but, and I guess my point is that didn't cost him esteem in other people's eyes. Yeah. It doesn't cost Elon Musk esteem in other people's eyes. This willingness to say that other people are actually, in fact, talented doesn't, doesn't hurt them the way that one might think that they have to scrap for every sure. bit of um, the credit. And this may not be be relevant to you because you might feel like, and here's the thing, like your worldview might be that they're not contributing. So what might be worth just testing, just testing, is like give them a bit more credit than they deserve. And at first that might feel uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm actually, if this feels like I'm asking you to lie, I really am not. I'm asking you to try on a different perspective where you might be missing something. Mm-hmm. Um that's it's it's not lie and tell them that they're more it's like really see if you can like per- purposely look for what you're missing in them uh and you might come back and be like dude i i tried <laughs> yeah they're <laughs> I all, listen if it. they're all inept and awful in yeah, every yeah. way then go to a different company then leave then leave but no, i i have the same thought there were two guys at, at uh, one of the companies i was at both were going to get promoted because they were both talented the, their personality differences weren't going to cost either of them but one of them was much more beloved by the people above, below, and his peers. <laughs> and it's because he was really talented, but very nice, kind to people. And the team got the credit. He, you know, in his mind, the team accomplished stuff. And another guy was just very confident that he was excellent, which he was. And you knew it in the tone he used and how he described things and the pronouns he used, whatever it might be. And not the pronouns, but right, go ahead. Well, I versus we. Oh, uh, gotcha. I thought you meant like he versus she. No, no, no. I versus we. <laughs> I'm sorry. 2021. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so I imagine that he, at some points, I actually feel confident that he did, would go home and talk to the people around him and say, "I don't understand why the people I work with don't like me. I'm so good." Mm-hmm. It's not because it's not because he wasn't good. It's because mm-hmm. he was kind of a dick. Yeah. All right. Let's let's continue. Next is how would you guys define confidence and self-esteem? I always aspired to have a Robert Downey Jr. type of confidence, but while reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I started to put this belief into perspective. I understand that on Charisma University, the module confidence has the goal of improving one's social skills, but in within oneself, what is the best way to feel confident and self-assured, and is it even desirable? Um, how do you define your confidence without it developing into entitlement? So I haven't read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you? No, I tried to listen to the audiobook, but... Just didn't end up making my way through it. I suspect we could be splitting hairs over semantics here. You know what I mean? Like, I think, and this is the thing that good authors will do, is that they'll take a 
something that is a a weirdly defined word like love or self-esteem or confidence or that means a lot of different things to a lot of people and take issue with a particular definition of it so as to draw a line. Um, But we probably, Mark and we probably largely agree on this point. So I'll try to elaborate it. Um, When I think of confidence, and maybe this is, it's, it's the belief that what you are doing, not just, well, in part, will go well, and that if it doesn't, you will be okay. Yeah. Both of those contribute to it. Um, and so I think that what Mark might be highlighting is just the belief that things are going to go well and which can make you arrogant and brash head and you're going to, you're going to do well. Um, but also he probably defines it. And this is just me guessing based on your question as a closed offness to new information or, or ways of adjusting, which in some ways I, I agree. I think that that, that is, and I'll, you look at like someone like Conor McGregor, um, confidence when taken to the absolute extreme can look like that self-esteem is your reputation with yourself it is uh do you trust yourself when you say that you are going to do something do you have a deep-seated belief that 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 it's done that you are going to do it or at least make the attempt to do it um do you trust yourself to be a good person do you trust yourself to live up to your principles do you keep your commitments all of those kinds of things um and what i would say is that self-esteem is a self-esteem is here Confidence is here, and probably at the bottom is self-love, which is just like total acceptance. For people who are just listening to this. Sorry, bottom of the pyramid, self-love. Middle level, self-esteem. Tip of the pyramid, confidence. And what's cool is you can work on this either from top down, bottom just up, gonna or, say, or at the same time. Unlike a real pyramid, you actually can start with yeah, yeah. confidence and then get to self-esteem and then mm-hmm. get to self-love. In fact, that's often what people do is they're most interested in like, I want to be confident, let me get a six-pack. It's like, and that's going to make me believe that this interaction is going to go well. <laughs> I think the easiest order is self-esteem, confidence, self-love. You lifted weights first, dude. Yeah. It's, conf- it, it's This is what people do is, is they do the loop. They start at the top. They go down. Um, yeah, mo- most people do is they lift weights and they, they're like, they get assurances that situations will go well. And then after they do that for a while, then they're like, wait a second, I want to work on my character. Like I want to become a person who does what he says and believes and can handle rejection. And then at the bottom is self-love, which is like, I accept myself even though I know I can't handle rejection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I accept myself even though I lie. I accept myself even though I do things that cut at my own self-esteem, which is like this weird paradoxical thing. So uh, I don't know what the, f- the fundamental question was, but yes, confidence can go awry. Uh, I think it's still worth working on and, and developing it's also just a nice to have it's like highly associated at least the my definition of it with positive feeling which is fun <laughs> yeah yeah and external success yeah and external success so uh is there is am i dancing around the question was there a i feel like you got it it's just what were your definitions yeah it's just uh and then the final bit is how do you define your confidence without it developing into entitlement um so why, i guess why would it yeah confidence I guess what I can see is someone who's like, like just the belief that um, to take any of these fighters who think that the greatest fighter on the planet and they don't work for the fight and then they get knocked out. Well, the like, example the guy gave was Robert Downey Jr. So I guess that more clearly skirts the line between like being arrogant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting thing about Robert Downey Jr. Because I, I had this impression <clears throat> as well because of his interviews and because of Tony Stark that he is this, you know, cocksure, confident, arrogant guy, and, and he'll make jokes at other people's expense in interviews. But what you don't see is apparently he's incredibly kind 
when they all get together on Avengers, he takes the lead on making sure everyone is comfortable in their role and within the group and feels included such that when he's doing an interview with Chris Evans and takes a jab at Chris Evans and you're like, oh man, he's got such confidence. He's willing to make that joke right at his face. He has a backlog of months of being super kind to Chris Evans such that when you ask Chris about him in an interview, he gushes about him. Mm -hmm. So I think people are missing that ingredient of RDJ. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, he's this, he, he puts on this front of, and maybe is incredibly confident and he's very quick witted and he's very charismatic, but also he's super kind and thoughtful to people and treats them well. Mm -hmm. So when he makes a quip, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think he's actually entitled. I guess is what yes, I'm saying. Your entitlement need not rise with your confidence at all. I think, um, taking the other example of, of the fighter, like it depends what you're confident in. If you're confident in that, even if you don't work, everything's going to turn out the way that you want. Okay. That's going to be a problem. But if you're confident that if you put in the effort and if you treat people well, and if you live ethically, things will tend to be okay. Sure. It's like, what do you place your confidence? You could be in? confident in your ability to outwork someone. Yes. And then you're going to have intense training camps all the time. You'll be well-prepared even for your fifth title defense. And ultimately with confidence, like at the bottom of that thing is like, you do need to be confident enough to handle failure. Like, because that's the other thing is like, I cannot work them. Well, maybe you meet someone that you cannot work mm -hmm. and maybe, and then, and then it's all right. Can I handle the fact that I just bumped up against the wall that I was unable to, to go through? Um, so yeah, I think that's good. Last one is uh, the Matt Pat one. I have a question regarding some inconsistencies. I noticed in Charlie's comments through some of the podcasts. <gasps> Hypocrite. There is one side where you are very anti-capitalistic and don't want to do things to maximize profits. But on the other hand, while I was watching the latest podcast, you were very keen on understanding how Matt Pat is able to get so many views and how to emulate his thinking to maximize your views as well. I'm wondering if you notice this dichotomy in your own thinking and if it creates dissonance since it seems like you talk about how you don't like doing things to grow monetarily, but at the same time talk a lot about wanting to learn skills to be able to grow monetarily. Not attacking at all. I feel like I deal with the same dissonance in my head. So I think there's a, there's a number of pieces of this. The first is that um, I do one of the one of the interesting things is that cognitively, if I could flip the switch in myself, I would because I have enough when I'm when I'm fully conscious, I have enough experience of earning money to know that it doesn't contribute to happiness at like at beyond a certain level. So I would like to shut that off, but I. We live in a society, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, uh, and and I do feel that there are. Uh, almost inescapable influences pulling me in the other direction. And so partially what I'm doing on the podcast is like reinforcing for myself and hopefully being a reinforcer for you, just that leans slightly in that other direction because any any music that you listen to, I mean, Christ, I haven't listened to music in a long time, but I remember the song when we were going to clubs was I woke up in a new Bugatti and it was just, you know, like, what do I got? You know, what can I spend money on? All those sorts of things. So I'm just trying to um, almost uh, play the Jiminy Cricket that I want more active in my life, which is this doesn't matter, even though I do feel that pull. The other thing is that it's, there's a degree to which it's a game. Like I play League of Legends and I know it doesn't matter, but I care. And I play Dungeons and Dragons and I know it doesn't matter, but I care. And I play YouTube and I know the results don't matter, but I care. And I like problem solving and trying to, to make the chart go up or whatever it is. So I think those two elements are what drives it for me. It's the game and it's the fact that I'm not a, uh, I'm not enlightened yet. I still have that that urge. 
Good answer. It's the last question I had. All right. Cool. Patreon? Yep. If you guys want to hop into Patreon, we love you. We need you. We're a little bit shy <laughs> this month. Uh-oh, Justin. <laughs> no, we got you. Um, but we are we are a little bit beneath our goals, so everybody joins Patreon. Uh, is a huge help to keeping this podcast going. So hopefully you guys join there, and you can see another Lord knows how long of questions. Either way, we appreciate you guys. Peace. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.